0: This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric, live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio.
1: Well, yes, indeed. We are live on BC Radio Live. Philip and Lisa are not with us this evening, being summertime and all. They are off doing summertimey things so we will miss them, and it, it, to help assuage how much I miss them, I've asked my dear sweet wife Dawn to participate in the show, so she is here. Are you here, Dawn? Hi. She is here. She is running the uh, switchboard for us, and we want to encourage people to call in. We, we always kind of forget to, to remind people. If you're listening to the show, we, we certainly invite questions, uh, talk to our guests. we got four really cool guests. Uh, we're all over the map, as we so often are. We are, we are tray-eclectic this evening. The phone-in the phone number is 646-595-3195. That's 646-595-3195. And our guests are singer-songwriter Holly Long. Whose latest work, latest CD, is a, a beautiful Americana, folkish pop amalgamation called "Leaving Kansas." We'll be talking with Holly quite shortly. Next, we'll be speaking with Arch Lundberg, Lustberg, excuse me, Lustberg, Arch Lustberg, and he's the author of "How to Sell Yourself Using Leadership, Likeability, and Luck to Succeed." And man, if we can't all use that, I don't know what we can use. Arch is one of America's leading performance coaches, and obviously he's an author as well. Next, we will shift gears, and we will be talking with members of G.G. Elvis and the TCP Band, which is a super cool, I was just listening to it now, punk tribute to Elvis, featuring members of NoFX, Aggression, Ill Repute, and the Bad Samaritans. They have a CD and DVD out on mental records Called "Back from the Dead." That is both entertaining and interesting, and it's always cool to hear, hear Elvis in a different light. And I personally, I'm a sucker for punk covers. Man, I I love to hear anything covered in the punk ish manner. And they do I'm it not to interrupt
2: you, Eric, because God forbid I do that. But I think Holly might be on the line waiting for us. So I don't well, know super. Finished. You finish. should we go ahead and bring her on?
1: Well, let me let me mention the fourth guest, and then yes, okay, please. do that. We'll okay. be speaking with Nancy Carlson Page, author of Taking Back Childhood. And, of course, we'll talk more about her when the time comes. But, yes, please do. Bring on All Holly right. Long.
3: You sounded
4: like you're on a roll there, my friend. I Whoa. am one who
1: rolls and rolls. Pro- I, I roll. That's the way I roll. Uh, that's how I roll. <laughs> that's how you roll. When I roll, I roll. How are you, Holly? <laughs> I can't think of another pun with
4: roll, otherwise I'd whip it out. I'm doing great.
1: Well, you're kind of bluesy at times, so sort jelly roll would certainly fit in there.
4: That's right, sure would. Wouldn't it now? Yeah. I've been, uh, I'm, I'm a little punchy myself, too, because I've been on the road now for a couple couple days straight in the south. I'm working on about two and a half hours of sleep. I was in Atlanta yesterday and uh, Knoxville this morning, and now I'm back in Nashville.
1: Holy cats. You are peripatetic.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I went to college, but I don't know exactly what that means.
1: Peripatetic is one who wanders far and wide, and it comes that's why from I,
4: that's why I wouldn't know what it means because I'm usually such a homebody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the para the para part refers to to feet, so I believe the original meaning was ah uh, sure someone, someone who walks all around, you know. A
4: man who knows his Latin roots is so sexy.:
1: Well,
5: <laughs> thank you.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. Well, let's first of all, let's, let's mention, since you're, you were talking about traveling and playing shows, let's, let's refer people. how can people find out about where you are playing? And I'm looking right now at the gig section of what a wonderful site you have. It's really well done. Oh, thank
4: you. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, that, that will be hollylong.com. Out there in, in Cyberland. You can also check my MySpace page, which is myspace.com slash hollylongmusic. Um, if you just go to myspace.com slash hollylong, I think you'll see, like, a 17-year-old with a beer bong. That's not me. Um,
1: <laughs> I did that search and, and found a number of Holly Longs who were not you.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that a couple of times. It's it's uh, it's humbling. Um, anyway, so yeah, she got there first on MySpace. Sadly, so I'm Bit. Holly Long Music. I know. Yeah. Um, I should turn her into a fan. I should I should make her a friend.
3: Convert her. Yes,
4: yeah. <laughs> to the church of Holly. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you can find out all about me on on those two sites and uh, among many others and. Yeah, I'm 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 out there in uh, in web world.
1: So forthcoming, you have tomorrow. It looks like you're at uh, you're at Christopher's Pizza in Nashville.
4: I sure am. I am playing tomorrow night with Amanda Shires and Molly Fitzpatrick. Um, I know Molly and Amanda's supposed to be great local phenom too. So that's going to be a really cool show. It's going to be the trio of fabulous chick singer songwriters.
1: Yeah, and what what more could one ask for when one is rolling than a trio? <laughs>
5: that, as you
1: are, than a trio of fab chick singer songwriters. <laughs> I like chicks who say chick too. My wife does. Dawn, don't you?
2: I do. Whenever we, I we can, gotta, we gotta
4: own it. We gotta own the word. You gotta take it back. You know. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because then it becomes then it then it becomes a cool thing as opposed to you know. Uh, perhaps some some sort of denigrating word which you know exactly
2: there's a few words like that i want to take back you know what i i don't know i assume eric you saw this but speaking of tough chicks holly is tough she is she's looked looked at the face of death and stared it down and has come back better and bigger and stronger
3: and i i
2: found that impressive
3: well
4: thank you you flatter me i um yeah, I you know, I wish that my my brush with death had been uh had been maybe like, you know, a plane crash or surviving, you know, uh like a near shark attack. It was much more medical. Um <laughs> uh, I, I was in a, I was in a coma in the hospital um back in my 20s I had a severe heart infection. And so it it ended up it was very very scary and more so for of course my my parents and my loved ones. Um, I was sort of checked out at the time, um, but the recovery time after that was pretty extraordinary. It took a it took a long time, and it um, it really <laughs> it you know it's, it's, all those cliches are true. The thing the things that don't kill you make you stronger. And really, I felt like the kind of wisdom that I was able to garner from uh, coming that close to dying at such a young age. Like I, I was able to understand the, the preciousness of the moment more than maybe one should at that age you know i sort of felt like all of a sudden i had this blessing and this burden of knowledge you know um right. and it was it's really interesting and it totally changed my life
1: do you have any memories of of when you were in the coma do you have uh... they are
4: they are murky and i almost you know so many times i've wanted to go under hypnosis or see if i could if i could find someone who could you know help me get back there cuz i it was about it was i think it was about between two and three days, and i honestly don't i remember i remember the murky coming out of it I remember the sort of slipping into it but it's all i mean it's all sort of like it's almost as if I had drunk like three bottles of tequila and then woke up three days later like that's kind of <laughs> I don't, like anything could have happened i don't remember i- re, i just remember wow. I just remember feeling so weak and so hot because I was—I had a fever of 105, and just everything was oh. hurting. And then I remember waking up in the hospital and being like, "Oh man, I'm so glad I'm here." That was the first thing I remember thinking was that, like, "Oh good, I should be here," you know? Because um, I had been turned away from the emergency room. Three days later, they had told me that I just had some virus. So essentially, they got my blood test wrong and they sent me home. I would have died if my mom hadn't taken me back to the hospital. Anyway.
3: Wow. Well, so I'm yeah, glad deep, you deep did. dark stories. <laughs>
2: Thank you. <me> I, too. <laughs> and it's affected your writing and the things, sort of, like you said, your perspective. It gives it's a blessing and a curse. You know, to be at such a young age and have seen that that it's 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 bound to affect you in some you know profound way, and clearly. The the thing I wanted to make note of, your voice is very reminiscent of Amy Mann, one of my absolute favorite Mm. singer-songwriters. Thank you. I'm a huge
4: fan of her. Thank
1: you. That's a really fabulous compliment.
2: By the way, Dawn, dear, were you able
1: to load the MP3s?
2: I was. Can we play them? I have Rock it out and then roll it. And and excess. I'm going to ask Kylie which she prefers. Which would you like me to play first, bones or excess? (laughs)
1: She'll need to know which ones we have. I have Bones
4: or Excess. Well, since we're on sort of this deep, dark stuff, you might as well play Bones.
2: All right, well, here we go. This is Holly Long performing Bones.
5: How to grow My bones go All the way down to the floor If I'm quiet If I hear
1: In the in the interest of time, since we we only have
2: we only have 15 minutes
1: with with sweet Holly,
2: yeah. I, you know what?
1: Besides your voice, it, which is really wonderful and evocative, and, and I love I love the the depth of it. Not that you can't sing high, you can, but but you really have a grounding there. Uh, and uh, but I love the strings on that. It, what, what a oh, terrific yeah. arrangement.
4: Me too. Yeah, you know those those strings are uh, there's two. Two cellos, two cellists, um, these women from Minneapolis who play together all the time, and, you know, it. it they're not playing off of any sheet music. They just, they came in together and sort of listened to the song, listened to what we had, you know, and we just sort of were like, okay, work your magic, because I, I kind of told them my vision of what I, you know, I wanted it to be kind of like the under like the glue, the underpinning underneath, almost like water, you know, sort of moving throughout the whole song. And it took them like two takes, and they just – and it was amazing to watch two cello players play right back-to-back, back, I mean, right next to each other, and never step on each other's line. I mean, they were just so in sync. That, that's what's been so cool about working on this project. I worked with just some unbelievable musicians. You know, it's always when you're the singer songwriter. It's always really cool to be the least talented musician on the record, because <laughs> then you get to work with that kind of ability, that was kind of chops and that, that kind of feel, and you know they they're just they're just marvelous.
1: Well, the whole thing is really well produced, and that's Anthony J W Benson. Has is, is that that's is right, someone you've right. worked with?
4: Yeah, he's and he was a new he's my manager as well. He's been my manager and uh-huh. friend for years and I had worked with another producer, another great guy out of LA, um my friend Chris Horvath and he and I did my first two albums which are a little more poppy. They're more in the like Sarah McLachlan kind of range. And I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to take more of a risk, go in more of a rootsy direction so I so you know, I was talking to my manager about this and he's produced he produced you know records back in the 80s and early 90s and he really knew what I was going for so we just decided to sort of do it together and um we used all his some of his old contacts from Minneapolis and we just got really we got really lucky with the people that we could use and and the facilities that we had access to and we just you know it just worked out exactly the way it should have
1: well, so, because of the the time factor, uh, I, I w- we would like to get uh, a portion of excess just to really give people at least a sense. Sure, of that's range. My, that's
4: my that's my one kind of country song. I'm not really a country singer. Here, I have a national I mean, saying I'm not a country singer. But you know that that's it's kind of a country lilt sort of song, and um, it's a little different vibe for me.
1: Before we do that, I do want to say uh, I've listened to the to the whole album now three or four times straight through each time, which is fairly unusual for me, and it really has a beautiful flow to it. And I and you, I really feel like uh, I'm, even if even if I'm doing something else while I'm listening to it, I feel like I'm really being told a larger story. What, what How did it come together so well for you? I mean, it just feels like there's an overarching theme. Was that on
3: purpose?
4: Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, Eric. That's a huge compliment because that was a goal. Um, My first two albums felt much more piecemeal, and I wanted to make an album that, though it's not a concept album, I wanted to make one that had that cohesion to it, Um, and I feel like we did accomplish that, and that means a lot to me that you reinforce that. Um, The the whole notion of leaving Kansas, my whole family is from Kansas, though I was born in in Kansas. I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Chicago, but there's a real Midwestern flavor to my roots and my upbringing. And um, there was something about the music itself, you know, like the B3, the harmonica, all that kind of the rootsy feel that I wanted to get back to something that sounded more intimate and more – you like the inside of me and so you know the, this album took over two years to record mix and finish um which ended up working to its benefit i think because the flow is much better you know we recorded a bunch of songs that we didn't that ended up not making the cut and then i went back into the studio a year later with a couple more new songs um but I was really attentive. We were really attentive to the flow and really attentive to the um, to the whole purpose of the album, which was really, which is very much in, it's an internal story for me um, about growing up and embracing some of my roots. And you know, the last song, "Leaving Kansas," is kind of an homage I wrote a little bit to my mom uh, about how she left Kansas and sort of became more of a big city girl. Anyway, so. There is a—it's it's a really personal record for me, and I—I um, I appreciate the fact that you—that you hear that it holds together because that was something that was really important for me sonically as well as
1: conceptually. It does, and it's really well sequenced too. The, the oh, one thank song you. really leads to another. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'd love to be able to talk about it more, but I, I would simply say I very much recommend it to to anyone who appreciates. Uh, a, a, an interesting blending of folkish, Americana-ish, um, you know, singer-songwriter elements together into a, a, a real individual feel. So, having said all that, and, and uh, really appreciate your time, and, and good luck with the rest of your peripatetic wanderings. Now that <laughs> thank we all you know so much, Eric,
4: I so appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me, and thank you, Don. You're a cool chick.
2: Well, thank you, and sir, so you, you're a cool chick. <laughs>
4: Yeah, but I'm a soft, gooey jelly roll on the inside. Oh, no, oh God. we all are. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: Thank you guys so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Let's Good luck, Holly. That's now by Holly Long.
2: All right, let me play that. Now Sorry to stop, Holly. I see we have another call on the line. Yeah, hang hey on. We, we... Uh, we
1: had uh, a request to open the chat room. Have you not opened the chat? I room? I have
2: opened the chat room. Yes, it is absolutely open. All right.
1: Well, I was just responding to a to an I'm urgent. Offended.
2: <laughs> well,
1: alright I... I'm going to bring
2: on. Um, does 201 look like a number we should be pulling in?
1: Yes, we should be hearing next from Arch Lustberg.
0: Well, let's see He's if this is Arch. Hello, are you there? He has been here for several minutes but i've I'm not out of my coma
1: excellent oh my
0: god thank you
1: <laughs> we We were glad we could we are happy we could revive you and we certainly apologize for placing you in a coma in the first place
0: not at all and you didn't uh, i'm I'm here and I'm ready to go when you are well we we are ready thank you so much for joining us uh why don't
1: you tell us a little bit about uh, uh the book how to sell yourself using leadership, likability, and luck to succeed. I have, I've certainly done a fair amount of thumbing through it, and looks like you have excellent advice that we can all use. Uh, maybe summarize it for us a little bit and tell us how, how, it, uh, how it came to be.
0: Well, it came to be because I'm a performance coach. I help people do media interviews and book tours, testify in court and in Congress, make speeches, And it all boils down, in my opinion, to likability. When your audience likes you, they will buy your message. If they don't like you, you might as well not start. And and I relate this to likability, winning the job, the promotion, the sale, the election, and the acquittal. It, It makes almost no difference what you're talking about if you're not liked by the person you're talking to, you don't connect
1: very interesting, excellent point. What would you say and boy, you sure have a lot of famous people here who are who are singing your praises who' you've worked with many of the uh many of the noteworthy out there in all in all kinds of areas of life entertainment and politics and 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 on and on. How would how would you summarize then? You know, what is the essence of likability? Is that and is that isn't that somewhat is that somewhat contrived? I mean, is it, are, are we are we being contrived by approaching this, or is it is it more of an organic thing of of finding the likability within yourself?
0: Well, see, every uh, my th- it's not really a theory; it's a fact. Everyone is likable. I mean, there is someone who likes the worst human beings in the world. Now, there's, there is an artistry to developing your likability. But see, I think what's happening is that we've forgotten how to be ourselves in normal, in, in anything but a normal speaking situation. I point out that the people running for public office are trying to show you a leader, they're trying to show you a competent person. Deserving of your vote, but they're not showing you their real selves. In, if, as you watched the 19 or so candidates who ran in the Republican and Democratic primary, every single one of them wanted you to see the commander in chief. None of you let you see himself, or in Hillary's case, herself. The only time. You remember when she broke down in New Hampshire?
1: Sure do. It was a she pivotal moment.
0: It was, because there was the real human being. See, one of my favorite examples of all time is a man named Bob Dole. Bob Dole said to David Letterman, three nights after he lost the election, he said, now I can go back to being myself. So I I, I, I don't want people to think that I'm making actors out of them, I'm trying to do just the reverse. I'm trying to make performers out of them because the performer is someone who's trained to show you his best self. And the politicians never never achieve that. uh, If you don't know who you're going to vote for in November, if you're not sure, I will guarantee you that the person you pull the chain for is either the person you like better or the guy you dislike less. <laughs>
5: that's,
0: what, that's what it's going to be about. That's what all our previous elections have been, except for Reagan, who won because he was more likable than his opponent, and Clinton, who turned out to be more likable than his opponent. Had I trained either George Bush or Al Gore, he would have won the 2000 election because he would I have likable. I wish you had. More... <laughs> well... <laughs> Whoever whoever came out more likable would be the winner, but neither one of them won. It was a draw.
1: What would you have done specifically with Al Gore?
0: I would have I would have brought him to himself. Do you know what his best speech was? His concession speech. It often is, isn't that the case? Of course it is. That's that's when the people speak from the heart. Right. That was Obama's. That's why Obama surged because his first speeches were from the heart, and people said, "My God, what a nice man." Now he's he's lost a lot of that as he's gone along. He's become ups, uptight. He's he's reading badly. He's frowning a lot, which uh, I I talk a lot in the book about the open face. Which is the key to likability. And, and let, let's do a little exercise. Yes, frown please. Hard, frown hard and say good morning to me. Good morning. Okay. I hope you're having as bad a day as I am. That's what I heard. Good morning. <laughs> your face sends a signal to your voice. Now wipe off all the expression. Don't move anything but your lips. Say the same two words.
1: Good morning. <sighs>
0: Good morning. Now, open your eyes. Elevate your eyebrows. Say the same two words quietly. Good morning. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Here's what I heard. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. See, I, I, the open face is the face we show when we give more eye and elevate the eyebrows. And I want to assure you, no one has ever walked up to a baby's crib and said good morning baby (laughs) I have a bottle I want you to drink it it's going to nourish you (laughs) that's the way the, the, the politician and the CEO talk what do we say to the baby hi and we show the baby and we sound to the baby the signals of love and I call spoken communication it's a heavy concept. I call it an intellectual act of love. Wow. And that, and that, I say it's a heavy concept. But when you make intellectual love to your audience, they have no choice but to like you back. And it's not a trick. It's how you do it when you're not thinking about it. It's how we look and sound when we tell secrets. He came into my office the other day, and we become human beings. You see, if Bob Dole had had as much fun running for president as he's having selling Viagra, he would have been elected. Yeah, he's been a riot ever since. He, he, was, he was a delightful person. Everybody in the Senate liked him. Right. He was, he was funny, but he just lost it on the stump because he didn't know how to be Bob Dole. He wanted you to see the majority leader of the United States Senate he named his dog Leader. Huh. Bill Clinton's Bill Clinton's dog was Buddy. <laughs> uh, That's true. Now I'm not a mind reader and I'm not a shrink, but that speaks volumes to me. It does. Clinton Clinton ta- talked to the audience like they were his buddy. Dole talked to them like he was their leader.
1: Very interesting. It really makes
5: sense.
2: Stuff.
0: And it's all common oh.
2: sense. So you should talk to people who you want to like you and to to buy whatever it is you're selling, whatever that may be, uh, an idea, whatever, as though they're your friend, not as though you're the authority. Is that what you're saying?
0: That's interesting. Your competence is already assured because you're the one they're listening to. So they're not looking for your competence. You don't have to show it. You don't have to display it. You have to show them a real wonderful warm loving human being see i thought i thought if if hillary had stopped trying now please forgive me this is this is crude but it's a it's a fabulous metaphor if she had tried if she had stopped trying to grow a set of male genital organs and become chelsea's mother we would have loved her instead of questioning her every move she had a a loyal following but she had about a 40% negative rating even going in so she had to do something to win the undecideds and the only way to win the undecideds would be to be a human being a warm caring human being I would love to have had her say Chelsea came home from middle school one day and said mom and just that alone would have opened up people's hearts to her because she was opening up herself to the people.
1: And she has done that successfully in some of her writing, you know, I because mean, that, that's how she transitioned, I think, from being, you know, the president's wife and, and all that went with that and all the baggage inherent in that to being a, a viable candidate on her own was through her writing and speaking in that interim period. And, and you know, she
0: had a lot of success with that. Uh, Amen. But she wrote herself. She spoke herself right. in that period. And and she lost it when she became your potential commander-in-chief. Right. That woman ready from day one. Ready right. from day one. Oh, every one of them is ready from day one. I mean, they're all as competent as you can hope they could be at this stage of their career. They don't <laughs> they don't need to prove anything
1: could you tell us briefly how how do the elements of competence like and luck come together
0: when when you're well let me give you a quick demonstration about competence people don't realize this uh when you uh uh like uh, you know grope uh uh and obama is uh uh doing this uh, now it's harder to like you if you don't appear competent if i don't consider you competent and there are certain things like not good eye contact like sounds that creep in uh... you know uh... uh well you, you you're wondering if i'm uh, uh... going to get to the end of my uh, uh, uh... sentence and you know the next word before i say it so how competent can i be in your in your perception and of course Perception is reality. So competence is terribly important. Luck is, I bring, that, I, this is a new chapter in the book, the luck chapter. And I mention it because you, by being likable, can help create your own luck. Now, there are certain things, you can't prevent a lightning strike from hitting you. And there are all kinds of career lightning strikes where it, it's just there's no ra- reason for things to happen. That's not the kind of bad luck I'm talking about. That can happen anytime. But you can avoid a lot of career bad lucks by being likable. Cuz the That's, likable
3: person- That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yes. Very interesting. The well,
3: oh, this I is
1: think- this is a this is an evening jam-packed with, with high-quality people who I wish we could speak to longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating stuff, and it makes absolutely good sense. I love your demonstrations of it. And all of this is contained in Arch's book, How to Sell Yourself Using Leadership, Likeability, and Luck to Succeed. Again, it's Arch Lustberg, and his website, Lustberg Communications, is at www.lustberg.net and that will take you to his company, and there's videos and demonstrations and link to his book and uh, all kinds of information about him. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, it's a wonder why people don't, why everyone doesn't use your services.
0: Well, this is, this is why I'm very successful. It's common sense. Not one person in my audience doesn't know this when he walked in, but it's just never made this clear for them.
1: That's so, tremendous.
0: If if thank I thank mean, so we, much.
2: Yeah.
1: Don, do we have other call, uh, our other?
2: We 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 do have a call that just popped in.
1: Okay. All right. Well, uh, it, because if we hadn't, you know, we're we're very happy to to keep talking. But uh, apparently, we do have to move on to our next well, guest. So I
0: understand so, that, and I thank you very much for helping thank me. You for thank you, Arch. Thank you. Really
1: interesting stuff, and I, I'm going to think about uh, I'm, I'm going to think about it a lot myself, and and uh, he needs
3: it. All, really all, all of
1: us. Uh, well, everyone, but clearly, most of all, public speakers, uh, you know, really need to avail themselves of of your suggestions, and I will do so. Thank you very and much.
0: People looking for a job
2: should use this. Should use it. Absolutely, that's excellent advice. I'm okay, going to use it. You. I need it. Thank oh, you,
0: Arch. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure.
2: I... Okay, I'm going to bring in uh, an eight oh five and.
1: You rock out that eight oh five.
2: I am. It sounds like they're rocking out right now is this Gigi Elvis in the TCT band.
3: Well, no. Is there it yeah, is. Hey. It's G G Elvis right
1: here. Excellent. Are we addressing you as Gigi Elvis or your God-given name? I mean, your your parent-given name.
3: No, my parents. No, 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 no
2: parents. No, mom and daddy.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> it even sounds know, like that. This Is great. Was created.
1: You, you were manufactured, were you now?
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so is, is is this the voice of Elvis on the on the very fine CD which I was just listening to and rocking out hard to? Nice,
3: uh, yeah, and also uh, Elvis of Nazareth, guitar player.
1: Excellent. Well, those are two <laughs> vocals and guitar. I mean, if you're talking punk and if you're talking Elvis, I guess that's pretty much the essence of it. A. <laughs> So are, you guys hey, Eric. On the, are you guys on the same line or are you on two different lines?
2: We're
3: actually on a speakerphone. Oh, okay. Phone. speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what?
2: I, I, I think we should play one of their songs to give the audience Oh, of I a think sense we should. Of what we're, because I'll tell you what, when I was listening to it, it rocked my socks off. My socks aren't even on yet. It just oh, rocked right. them right
3: off.
2: Nice. So, so I'm going to bust one out. You guys just hang on. This is TG Elvis in the TCP band with Viva Las Vegas. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard.
1: Oh, and she's not kidding when she says that. Uh, you know, that, that's the gospel we're talking I, You know what? I think that may out rock uh, the Dead Kennedy's version.
3: Oh, Absolutely. That, that's a huge compliment. We'd like to thank you. You're much too kind. You're much too kind.
1: Well, we we speak only the gospel truth. All right. So, how did all this come together? You guys are uh, we 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 have mentioned on the side out of the out of the sides of our mouth that uh, that in that in the real the real world that uh, you guys are members variously of NoFX, aggression, ill repute, and the bad Samaritans. And so, how did it how did it come together? How did the idea for G G Elvis and the TCP and what does TCP stand for, by the way?
3: Taking care of punk. Oh yes.
1: <laughs> That is in the groove. That is rolling. Uh, where did the idea come from, and how did you guys uh, how did you guys gather in the name of Elvis?
3: Well, we all were uh, impersonators, and we entered a contest, and there was a four way tie. It was unprecedented. It was in all the papers. And we He's lying. <laughs> a- <laughs> become I missed that. And become the ever. That's it.
1: That's that's it.
3: That's it. Four-way tie, became a band, and now he's got a record and a DVD in front of you.
1: Wow. All righty. Well, let's tell people how to get at it. Do you guys play live? Yes, I see shows. Do we have any shows coming up?
3: Yeah, we're playing uh, August 22nd in Las Vegas at Spliggies, right off the Strip on Sahara Boulevard. August 23rd, we're in Salt Lake City. And then September 3rd, we leave for a month-long tour of Europe.
1: Oh, I see that. How fun is that? How did that come together? Why the leap across the pond?
3: You know what? Things are just really steamrolling right now, and we're just people are just really catching on to it, and uh, it's just crazy. The Germans agreed to feed me, so I'm heading out. <laughs>
1: so the Germans just wanted a hunk a hunk of burning love, huh?
3: We're yeah, gonna put some food on my plate, and I'm coming. <laughs>
2: A beer, man. That's Elvis would love that.
3: Nachos beer and some German chocolate, and I'm happy.
1: Woo! And you're playing the yeah, Netherlands and uh, Czech Republic as well. Wow, that, that's yeah, quite a yeah, tour. Yeah,
3: my playing uh, with the helicopters on their last tour. So.
1: Ah, I see. Yeah, I love them. I, I, I love them. Where are they yeah, from? I mean, are they?
3: They're from Europe someplace. I don't know. It's all, it's all over the pond to me.
1: Yeah, it's all EU to me. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. It's all just that damn EU. Except for the yeah. Irish. You see they voted out. They said, we don't want your EU. EU <laughs> to the EU.
3: <laughs> exactly. Irish so, are spunky. So, they
2: are crazy, man. They'll just do anything. <laughs>
3: Speak
2: what, let's
1: refer people to the site where they can get all this information. Is the GG dot com the best site to go to?
3: Yep, ggellas.com, and uh, I think
2: it's myspace slash ggellas. They have great pictures on their website, by the way, and I, I encourage everyone to go check it out. It's just off the hook.
1: We, I am, I am viewing it as we speak. Now, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to get to the DVD, and I apologize for that. I, I will do it after the fact. So, tell us a little bit about what what's on the DVD. Uh, okay.
3: DVD is nothing but a good time. It's like a roller coaster ride of fun. Thirteen fun-filled tracks. Yeah, you'll have a good time with the DVD. Unfortunately, on the DVD, you don't get any live music because you couldn't get the sync right from the Elvis Presley estate. So uh, you'll read about that. When you watch the DVD, it'll tell you all about that.
5: <laughs> well, that sounds, oh, that sounds lama. ironic. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, we don't want to spoil the surprise, but you watch a, a music video with uh, no music. <laughs> wow. Let us <laughs> was on the seat, but they wouldn't let us start matching up with the video. I don't know. I what That was just over the line. That was <laughs>
1: You know, because because you know, Crass is, is, is so alien to Elvis culture, of course.
3: Oh completely. We we death threat.
2: It's
3: all
1: about course. sophistication. Now, I, part of what's so cool about the songs, uh, you know, for those, and, and I, I think we have another one that we can we can rock out to here. But w- one of the things I loved about it is is the way you work in some classic punk tunes uh, into in, into the Elvisania. How did that come about, and how did you how did you pick the songs to 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 mesh?
3: Well, really. Um... It's just such a huge part of our life, of, of those songs, the classic punk songs. It's all we we grew up in that. And Elvis is a huge part of our lives, and it just combined, and picking it, just kind of, well, we took the classic ones, things that we knew were classic that everybody loved, and uh, just whatever meshed up good, like peanut butter and banana.
2: Try <laughs> peanut butter and banana. You too, I
3: love it. I'm, a, I'm hungry.
2: This is a Velvet I Elvis. See.
3: It's dinner time. Wait, wait.
2: Now, have that's you guys been crazy. to Graceland? Oh, go ahead. <laughs>
3: uh, I, I have years ago, not recently, not since uh, uh, Bad Samaritan Tour in 1990. <laughs> so, wow.
1: So. <laughs> was it an epiphanous moment for you?
3: Oh, uh, it was close. We had to look from the outside. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: <Hey>. Okay. <laughs> So your, your, wall, you're, and then. <laughs>
1: your epiphany came at a distance.
3: It's uh, from peeking over the wall.
1: <laughs> well, maybe that was somehow, uh, uh, that seems like uh, that was a precursor to them not letting you sync up the music.
3: Yeah, I, I, it was kind of a weird omen, huh? <laughs> <You know. laughs> what, 18
1: years in advance?
3: Exactly. I've been rejected by them all. So maybe we'll go out there for Elvis week, but I think it's coming up in August. Yeah, you really should. You really should.
1: Now, when when you're playing live, are are you doing just the G.G. G. Elvis stuff, or are you bringing in material from your your other lives?
3: No, you just get the G.G. G. Elvis stuff. That other stuff you'll have to see some other time. But no, this is all G.G. G. Elvis now, baby.
1: Wow, that's a commitment, man.
3: And, but you know, we, we're taking on some pretty big names. We're putting them on our on our shoulders, so we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mix it up with stuff that's not worthy.
1: Right. Right. So now, when you're when you're live, since you all four, you had a four way tie uh, to win the Elvis impression contest that was occurring in some place that will not be named. Uh, do you all do you all perform as Elvis in Elvis mode?
3: Yes. Various Elvis, uh, very Elvis stages of Elvis.
1: Elby. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Elvi. Exactly.
3: We're all El right. Elby. <laughs> For instance, I, I'm the gospel side of Elvis. Elvis of Nazareth.
1: Wow, I see.
3: <laughs> I see. He's the the girl crazy rebel Elvis.
2: Which one's the one that died on John Elvis?
3: Which one?
2: The who, died, who, died on the John, John Elvis. Died on the died on the pot Elvis. That's me, man. How That's Judy me. 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 Me all the way,
3: baby.
2: That's <laughs> I was gonna apply for that role if I uh, didn't have it. <laughs> Should we, should we play Blue Suede Shoes before we uh, run out of time, Eric?
1: Heck yeah! Oh. Rock it, hard, right. woman.
2: We got. <laughs> I always rock it hard. Blue Suede Shoes by G. Elvis and the KCP Band, who are most riotous. Here we go. <laughs>
5: Yeah. One of
3: the money for show three do, do not
2: I'm going to I'm it. I'm i do i That's like a damn lullaby boy as far as I'm sure. That's the best. Ever, my kids are going to listen to that before they go to bed tonight.
1: That is bordering on hardcore. There, that is ripping it up.
3: It's shredding. Two times. Well, guys,
1: uh, Don, who is manning the or womaning, I should say, the the control panel. Do we have uh, another caller, or can we keep?
5: We have a mysterious. The
2: we have a mysterious one-one-one-one-one. So it's either EP or it's our uh, our final guest, Dr. Nancy Carlson Page. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, hey guys, uh, this is super stuff. I, I'd love to see you live, and I certainly will check out that that DVD. But love the love the CD, and we got to remind everyone it's GG G. Elvis and the TCP Band. The CD slash DVD is back from the dead, and check them out at ggelvis.com or their or their similar similarly titled MySpace. Site, and uh, that's some great stuff Like I was saying uh, earlier Before you guys were on I am totally a sucker for punk covers And when you put together Elvis With some, with some punky classics That are very cleverly you know, meld, Melded in there uh, And, and uh, all of it's done in a, in a really fine spirit Of good humor But, but totally rock and music It is great stuff guys Really appreciate you checking in with us
3: you're a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Thank yep. you very much. Thank you. Thank you, you guys very much. You guys are too kind, man. You guys have an awesome
1: show here. Thank you. And, hey, have a lot of fun over there in uh, in Europe. Maybe they won't know what happened back uh, in 1977 or...
2: 77.
3: <laughs> Maybe you can catch the them top. off guard. I'll die on the toilet in Europe. You never
1: know. You never know. Well, have a great <laughs> tour. Knew. Have a great tour, and uh, have a lot of fun with it, and uh, really appreciate you guys coming on. Really enjoyed it. it. Thank,
3: Thank you. We appreciate you having us, man. Have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Right. Bye. Love you.
2: Bye. All right. Are we, uh, I don't know how we can segue from that because that was just some crazy stuff, but here I'm going to br- try and bring in Dr. Nancy Carlson-Page. So hang with me here for a second.
6: Hello? Dr. Dr. Nancy, is that you? That is Dr. Nancy, yes. Woo! We did it! I just tuned in. Sounds like you're having a good time.
1: We have been having a rip-roaring show, and we are nothing if not eclectic.
6: (laughs) Yeah, you're moving into a new zone now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. All right, well, let us introduce you, Dr. Nancy Carlson Page, and you are the author of Taking Back Childhood, Helping Your Kids Thrive in a Fast-Paced, media-saturated, violence-filled world. Boy, that is one long and scary subtitle.
6: Yeah, it's it's too long, isn't it? You just want to tune out after about the sixth syllable.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. Because they Not do really. all go together, don't they?
6: Yeah, they go together, yeah. I mean, that's what the book's about. Well, actually, the beginning of the book is about, um, you know, the the changes in society and a generation and how they're impacting childhood in, in negative ways. But most of the book's pretty hopeful about things that people who care about kids can do to kind of reclaim childhood, the best of childhood for kids.
1: Well, I, I certainly had an a, a informative and interesting time looking through the book. Why don't we, let's, let's talk about a little more specifically. What are some of these changes that, that, that we have seen culturally and, and through the media? How would you define those?
6: Yeah, Well, it's kind of like um, each one is important, but it's when they add up that they're changing childhood in in ways that aren't so good for kids. You know, um, just in one generation, there's been a huge change in the amount of time kids spend looking at screens and absorbing media and enormous changes in um, what they get exposed to because of that, all kinds of things that are a a lot of them sort of not as – suited or healthy for kids as you know they get they see things that are not necessarily what their parents want them to see and the um there's a phenomenal amount of money spent on marketing to kids which is a huge leap from just a decade ago um 17 billion dollars is what corporations spend marketing to children and they do try to bypass parents and get right to the kids so um that has a big impact on how kids feel about themselves what they think life's about what brings satisfaction um, you know, they get the message they have to have a certain toy to play or eat a certain food and whatever. And then uh, parents are are moving at such a fast pace these days. They work so many more hours than we did a generation ago, 167 and a month, a year to be exact, which is the equivalent of a month every year, but their incomes aren't any better. Wow. So the pressures parents feel are, are tremendous. And then schools with the testing pressure have done away a lot to a great extent with play and social activities so the kids aren't getting the kind of social time and decompression time and play time that are really essential for their good health and they're just not part of their lives in school or out of school anymore
1: wow that sure applies to to what we've seen on the ground We're, we're married and we have Two young younger children. We have an eight-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. And uh-huh. then I have I have seen just such a, a, an enormous difference between the world that they live in and how uh-huh. how we're raising them. And my two older children, I have twenty-four and twenty-one-year-old. And just in that time frame, I've seen yeah. lots of differences.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's actually I like to talk to parents who have older kids. And then I mean, your kids are almost a generation apart, then.
1: Yeah, they really are.
6: And, um, yeah, well, then you've seen a lot of the same changes I have. My kids are in their 30s, and then my grandkids are, are the ages of your younger children. And that's what I'm seeing, too. So it's it's kind of out of my experience I'm seeing these things as well as I've been, you know, in the field of child development for 30 years. But um, So I know all the research and everything, but the research just backs up the things that we're perceiving, um that are, that, that's, that are happening for kids today. And, um, yeah, it's you know, they're not as rooted in some of the basic essential things kids need for healthy development, good social relationships, a feeling of security, um, a chance to play, you know, in, in ways that really let them express what's going on inside them. Not only do the kids have less time to play, but also with all the marketing and consumerism, a lot of their play is scripted. It comes from media and it gets linked to toys and stuff that gets sold to them, merchandise that kind of ends up affecting, really sending their, determining really what they're going to play, more encouraging them to imitate things they've seen on the screen rather than play in original ways, which might sound not important, but it's actually very important because play is one of the ways kids really work through their own experience and, and gain a sense of feeling safe and um, like they can cope.
1: Well, I have certainly seen that that the lives of our two younger children, I mean, they really are so much more scheduled
6: and yeah.
1: scripted. I mean, here we are in the summertime, and, gosh, especially our 8-year-old, but not just the 8-year-old, even the 4-year-old. I mean, they're so we, – we were – put together a calendar, you know, of activities because we I mean we just had to write it down because you can't keep track of it yeah, in in your mind and I mean it's just an enormous number in the course of a month of things, places that she has to be at a certain time to do a very specific thing. It's it, uh, very little is left open-ended and, and very little is left to chance. And I'm just wondering how how, how do we get around that? Please pray. Tell us because we're we're a part of it. You know, we, I mean, we're involved with with making these schedules. I mean, we're not innocent of it.
6: Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's common for a great many parents. You know, different kids who have different uh, resources and life experiences are experiencing things in different ways, but there's a, a very large section of more middle-class kids who are, whose lives are completely scheduled up, you know, during the school year and in the summer. So what you're describing is really common for probably the majority of children. Um, Yeah, things have changed. I mean, kids aren't running outside and playing spontaneously the way I did as a kid. Um, And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one of them is most families have two working parents now. And also a lot of people don't feel as safe as they used to, and so they don't want their kids to just run around freely outside because they're afraid of a lot of things, you know. I mean, Some of that's really not um, rational in that it's promoted by the media a lot, kidnappings kidnappings and so forth, but they really haven't increased. It's just that they're – they're so evident on the news and stuff that I think it, it ramps up parents' anxiety level. And I think when you're apart from your kids, too, you, you have more anxiety and you feel like you want to have their lives structured because that feels safer to you. That That's understandable. But um, still, in, in the time that you do have at home or we have at home with kids, we, we can try to create space for them to decompress and to have something to say about how they're spending their time, and especially for play. Four- and eight-year-olds still love to play a lot and sort of making sure that they have that at home every day, some amount of time that, that's theirs. That they do a charge. lot of that. <laughs> yeah, they do?
2: Well, our kids do. You know, they still like to go outside. I mean, you know, they like to watch all you know, their videos and that sort of thing, And but they're pretty regimented even in that. They, they like the same sort of stuff. But they do have a lot of spontaneous play, especially my son. He's four. He plays with his Legos and has a lot of imagination. What I notice he'll do is he'll do simultaneous play where he'll be watching one of his favorite videos, but also sort of reenacting it with his guys and, you know, his guys are his little Lego people. And he'll just burst out into spontaneous sort of, you know, he's come up with something and this is how he, you know, his imagination. And it's good to see that. You want to encourage that.
6: So I didn't want to ask. Oh, go yeah. ahead. So I want to
2: ask you a question, but you go and... Okay,
6: well, uh, what you're describing... Well, first of all, there's a couple of things in there. One is the Legos, especially if they're, like, not defined Legos, but more open-ended so he can create what he wants rather than the Lego telling him what he's creating or making... They are now. They're, they're
1: what? <laughs> they're not defined anymore. Yes.
6: Yeah. <laughs> they're not... Oh, <laughs> okay. And... Um, also, um, yeah, when you watch them play, it's good to ask. You know, are their own? Is their own experience coming into their play? Is their own imagination coming in? You know, does it look like a script they saw and in, in, in the TV show, or are they changing it in some way? That's a, that's an important thing. Then, it, then it's yeah. like not so much imitation, and it's more creative, and it's more valuable.
2: Well, my son, I mean, they'll tell us at school. You know, he's the four year old, but he has an, an amazing imagination because. He will take things he sees and sort of adopt his own storyline. I mean, he'll take Indiana Jones and combine it with Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, all these sort of fantasy role-playing things. I mean, he will do that. Yeah. I, I do have a concern about the, the violent aspect. When you were talking about the older kids, and I just kind of want to get your input on this. My, my stepson, who's the, he's the 21-year-old, very nice kid, very sweet kid, studying to be an archaeologist, you know, wouldn't harm a fly, but he loves horror movies. And he and I were having this conversation. I'm not a big fan of. I like scary movies but with intrigue, but I don't really like horror movies.
5: Mm-hmm. And
2: he's always sort of liked this. So he's describing very much like the four-year-old in his mind. Oh, and I saw this thing, and it was so cool, and it was so crazy. And, and I said, you know, Chris, I, I, gee, I wish you really wouldn't watch those things, because what it does is it fills your mind with images that otherwise wouldn't be there. So he and I were having this sort of intellectual conversation about whether this actually happens, or if this is just my perception, and what do you think, as far as you know violence and and I'm not even talking about scary scenes but just gratuitous violence that has really no you know not something you would ever see in real life, just grisly gruesome things yeah compared what do you think is the danger of that
6: well. Um, there's a couple things. One is there's no question but that the research, there's hundreds and hundreds of studies and When the medical organizations, the AMA, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and others reviewed all these studies, they had kind of a meta-analysis. They looked at everything, and they came out with one strong statement, one conclusion from looking at all the research that said, viewing entertainment violence does desensitize children to violence and encourages some children to act more violently. So that's, that's pretty clear cut. And um, also there's a big difference between children and, and Chris, the 21-year-old, your your stepson, because right. it's one thing for adults, it's one thing for us to look at violence. You know, we have a whole different cognitive apparatus in our head. We can kind of make sense of it. We can understand it's in a story, it's in a context. Somebody, some, you know, whacked out genius behind the scenes there made up this character who's biting somebody's neck or whatever but a little kid can't understand any of that. So for a young child, it, it's far more scary. The images are produce a lot more anxiety that can haunt a kid for days or weeks or more. Uh, because they don't they're, they're they're impacted by the what they see visually much more than you and I because we understand what's behind the scenes and little kids can't think that way. So um they're they're impacted by violence and scary violent and scary images in very different ways. They don't see them like we see them. And one of the problems is because too many people don't understand that they're taking younger kids to violent movies and scary movies and letting them see things on screens that they really shouldn't be seeing and it has a really negative impact. And then on top of that, we have the problem of, you know, seeing violence at a young age. And it does desensitize. Even those you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, seeing violence like that when you're a little kid, it desensitizes you. That is to say, you, I mean, you literally it keeps you from feeling how other people feel when they're hurt because you, it's glamorized violence. It looks like fun. You get the idea, hey, you can play like this and this is a fun thing to do. I don't think those are particularly healthy messages to give to little kids.
2: That's that's good. That's interesting to hear because my, you know, we have certainly discussed it, and I, I know when I was a kid. And by the way, we are not streaming live anymore, so we'll we'll certainly wrap it up. But I saw, you know, not my son's age, but by ten or eleven, I was seeing scary movies with my dad. Cause he, you know, it was one of the things we did together. Yeah. And and I know it had an effect on me. It didn't desensitize me in any way whatsoever. In fact, it probably had the opposite effect. But it did leave me with lasting frightening images that to this day cause me you know some phobias and that sort of thing
6: yeah well the scary it's a difference between the scary and the violence because a lot of the violent stuff that kids see really glamorizes violence it makes it look like fun they don't really see the effects of it or that it's harmful or hurtful and that's a different thing from seeing horror movies when you're 10 or 12 you know i saw those too a lot of them they scared me too so it, it depends, you know, which content we're talking about. They have different kinds of effects on kids and different effects at different ages. But, you know, I'm not for censorship or anything. I'm not, like, conservative about these things socially, but I just think we have to be really careful when we're exposing children to this stuff that's really meant for for older for teens and adults. You know, I, I,
1: as always, we when we're talking to such interesting people and have such interesting topics, we... We really uh, end up pressed for time. What I wanted to do, we, as Don mentioned, we're actually off of live, but that's fine yeah. because a, a great majority of our, our, our listeners listen to the archive anyway, and, this, mm. and that continues on. So we're fine for a, a few, more, few more minutes if that's okay with you. I yeah. did want to just address kind of your you know, the main central issues of your book, which, is, which are reclaiming play and imagination, sharing right. power with kids, mm-hmm. countering media violence and stereotypes, and resolving conflicts creatively. If if you you know would like to address uh, any or all of those in in some sort of overview manner, <laughs> or I realize I'm asking you to uh, describe your book <laughs> in, yeah. in in a few minutes, but you know just uh, perhaps a highlight or something that would be uh, demonstrative you know of of, a, of some key points that uh, you know I think that would be helpful to to our listeners, and yeah. you know we do want to convey uh, you know what what the book's all about.
6: Well, one of the I'm saying that some of the key building blocks of a healthy childhood are slipping away, but that there's a lot we can do to to bring them back for kids, even in our everyday lives, um, in a lot of little ways that add up to be extremely important. And one we've been talking about, which is kind of reclaiming healthy imaginative play, um, and and another is um, to help kids learn how to um, build really positive relationships in their family, with their parents, with their friends, and with their siblings. And I think that with the um, sort of diminishing of play and social um, interaction with all the scheduled time and then less of it in school, that kids are getting less opportunity to kind of have social experiences. That if you think about how you ran and played freely as a kid, a lot of that – uh, there was a lot of learning going on, a lot of social skills were getting learned. You had to work things out with other kids and figure out rules of the games you were playing and so forth. And kids don't have those opportunities anymore. So I'm saying how we parent or how we interact with them is is more important, actually, than ever, I think. And um, a lot of parents I talked to for the book were using a lot of, like, quick-fix parenting Techniques to get kids to comply with what they wanted, like time out and um you know punishments and rewards and bribes and threats and you know time out chairs and naughty chairs and things you see on shows like nanny nine one one on t v and um and I think we have to we could actually change how we interact with kids and use those times when we're interacting with them to help them um, learn some social skills, but, and learn other ways of interacting with people that are more humane and more, um, and help them build more empathy and caring for other people and skills for how to get along. So I have a lot of examples in the book, zillions of examples of, you know, ways we can do that. And, um, and I think, you know, the question is really when you, when you discipline a kid, like are you trying to just get them to do what you want in the short term, which you can certainly do? with a bribe or a threat or something, but how can you um, how can you intervene in a way that's going to really help a kid change from the inside and care about people more and learn how to get along with people better? I think that's really the the question that faces us now. Very I couldn't agree more. That's really a,
2: an important point to make. Mm.
1: And parenting, man, you inside. know, there's no... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Parenting is is a you're not licensed you know and, and it really yeah. is learn as you go and yeah uh, it's it's not easy and people no. need to take it very seriously.
6: It's incredible when you think about it that you can just um, you know produce a baby and just have one without knowing anything and it's kind of strange in a way that that we and yet licensed.
1: you need societies. <laughs> permission you know and yeah. a piece of paper to drive your car
6: i know <laughs> but we can produce another human being and treat it the way we want and uh, it's, it's kind of strange but yeah anyway a lot of parents do really want to know more and the fact is a lot of parents don't know very much about how kids develop and um i put a lot of that kind of information in the book because i i think it's helpful the more you know about kids uh, the i think the the better you can take care of them and interact with them so I thought of that in there.
1: Well, it's a wonderful and helpful book and uh, we will certainly be hanging on to our copy to refer back to it and uh <laughs> um, we need it.
5: <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, yeah, we, we we do. We're not perfect, uh but we try and yeah, we, I we I do love them. Yeah, I bet
6: you do. We care. Yeah. It sounds like you do and it's, I bet you have a lot of fun with your kids. You we got do. a great you got a great age range in there. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs>
1: We we,
5: do. we really do. There
6: is very
1: interesting, you know, uh, interaction between them all, and the you know the various dynamics is is pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. It's and it is very. It's really varied, and it's interesting uh-huh. because it, often when we're all together, which isn't very often, you know, um, it's interesting to see the changes. Whereas the older ones become somewhat younger, at least in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. and the and the younger ones get older, and they they all kind of meet in the middle somewhere, and it's it's really pretty interesting.
6: That is interesting. Well, and fun. Well, let's yeah. refer
1: people to your site. I don't think we've mentioned that. It's Nancy Carlson, C A R L S S O N Page, P A I G E. .org and there's all kinds of information about you and what you're doing and what you're up to and background and your books and uh, this book is taking back childhood, helping your kids thrive in a fast-paced, media-saturated, violence-filled world. We thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well,
6: thank you. Yeah, thank it's you. been it's been great talking with you.
1: All right, good luck. Uh, so, I, I hear Alex in the background there. Yeah,
2: peace. Uh, <laughs> He's interjecting his thoughts on all this. As if on cue. Is
6: is that the four-year-old? Yes. hi, Alex. All right. Well, enjoy him, and and thanks a lot for the conversation.
1: Thank you, Nancy.
6: Okay, so long. Thank you, doctor. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
2: He's
1: going.